Morning, it's Saturday. That means it is time to chill. Um, I just delivered that so terribly. I, I, I'll get better at this. I had to move your comments. It's good to see you guys chatting beforehand, though. That's fantastic over there. I'll give that a look maybe in a moment here. But it's Saturday. It's morning. That's pretty chill, or it should be. And that's what makes this this the mad... Makes this this? That's what makes this the mad Christian Saturday morning chill. Someday I'll have that memorized. And you might have it memorized too. Today we got questions on the Lord's Supper. Go figure. It's been the topic of conversation and for good reason with what so much of the church having to ask, do we need to have the Lord's Supper to be church and various groups mm, debating that these days on the internet for, for good reason with various books released recently saying things like the heartbeat of the church is indeed the, the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, all of that is is being compelled upon us by the circumstances of COVID. And of course, how could we have a day of talking about anything without talking about COVID? And I shouldn't make light of it because it is a serious thing, but it also is wearisome, is it not? Yeah, I think it is. And, and so, uh, you know, we're all tired and as the, the days get protracted and this dystopian nightmare becomes more a reality, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> my postman drove by three times yesterday. That was weird. Um, you know, as, as all this is going on, the real things, the real presence, the real substance of Christ the King uh, in, with, as, is, according to his words of institution, something that I can understand why we're talking about it more now than maybe we were three years ago or so. So we've got some questions on that this morning, as well as a question on the church and its existence, uh, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, anybody? Uh, if we get there, hopefully uh, we'll be able to dig into Psalm 33 a little bit this morning. I um, uh, It's the one I was studying this morning in my attempt at a semi-daily psalm study that I do, and it is just so chock full of texts that I kind of offhandedly remember but don't have memorized, and it's a, it's a good formula. Let's just say it seems like some pretty good formula making right there. So we'll maybe come back to that. I want to talk more about the proper distinction, so-called. I want to talk about, uh, you know, Dr. Francis Peeper's uh, school of Christian wizardry and uh, and maybe some things like that. We'll, we'll see. But your comments and questions will always be able to detract, sidetrack, and intract us. That's not even a word. Um, uh, we'll have uh, super chats, of course, from the sidebar. Can definitely send us on tangents as you will. The law of super chat is it is grace alone. And thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing what you have to say if you want to do that. I'm going to throw a hat tip right now out this morning as well for something I don't know a whole ton about. Uh, yet. Um, and it's because of my own personal reclusion from internet worldishness, right? Um, I, I don't mean to say worldish as in worldly, just my poor little introvert heart can't take much more inputs if I, if I can say it that way. And so I'm not out there searching for social groups on the internet at the moment. But apparently there are some good alternatives to Facebook for niche communities popping up around. And there is one burgeoning that calls themselves mad and, and Christian at the same time and has something to do with this show, particularly people hanging out this morning. And some of them are in the sidebar. And if you start asking about where this group is, they might tell you and point you there. I don't know if the group entirely is ready to accept a thousand plus new members today. I'm not sure there's that many waiting in the wings, but they might want to chat a little internally as well about that. I don't know what they're going to ask you because I'm not, it's a fan thing that's going on, but it's out there. And I know they do, they, they're there because what this show is about isn't about this show. It's about Jesus. It's about the word. It's about being Christian in this time and place. And they care about that. So they're helping each other with that and what, what, how this show and the things around this show uh, support that. 
in their lives. So if you want if you want to ask in the comments, I'm sure somebody will pipe up and answer for you. I mentioned my new book, Without Flesh. Don't forget, I also have the book Echo and Broken out there floating around. They're both perhaps worth pondering during this time of, of COVID vacation, if that's what you happen to have. Uh, and meanwhile, if you really love the show, the shows, the bonus content, the books, and yada, yada, then the real way to help me every week, actually every month, I guess, would be the way to say it, but for me, I think about it every week, is to support the show on Patreon. Subscribing to the podcast release of the show, Saturday Morning Chill, Mad Christianity, all of this, and then with that, the bonus content, all that comes, of course, on the podcast. Um, now, I just this week, for the first time on Patreon gave Patreon subscribers something that the rest of y'all don't get to see. Uh, it was not like marvelous, right? It is not glorious. It is not the inner workings of the Trinity or something like that. Uh, it's quite quite tame and, and weird, uh, but it's, it's like behind the curtain of the Fisk, right? Uh, so uh, if, if you ever decide to get onto the Patreon bandwagon, some of that kind of stuff I'm going to put there. I'm, I don't ever want to put the gospel behind a paywall. I really do not. Um, but I think you, I can put my uh the post-it notes on the wall trying to outline the structure of the story i'm working on you you know you can get a glance at that uh if you want to help me out on patreon so uh, if i fail to mention mad mondays the newsletter and then i'm practically committing a crime against you it's probably the best thing that's happening right now and i only do the tail and if i get that done and the front piece the rest of it is being handled by the mad christian team shadow broker the hand and whatnot and man is it good um i look forward at this point to reading it every week and i get to read it a little bit early i just got to start reminding myself i used to be excited to look and see what came out on Monday, right? I guess like, no, no, I got to be excited for Saturday's edition here because then that's what's going to come out on Monday, right? And I get the preview copy. It's it's a, it's a great newsletter. So sign up for that if you haven't. You can find all this stuff at revfist.com. And of course, you can contact me with questions that we'll maybe get on, probably get on the show there at revfist.com slash contact. And that is our initial burst. How you feeling this morning, everybody? I'm going to glance at you in the comments. I see Wolf Miller's already busy promoting his stuff. What are you doing, Wolf Miller? You didn't pay to be here yet. What are you doing? <laughs> Ouch, just hit my tooth. Ah. Coffee time. So Wolf Miller's over there talking about something. I, I can't quite tell what. He's being thanked already. Oh, getting the party started. There you go. Uh, so Brian Wolf Miller says, let's get the party started. Um, that's nice to see. Uh, he is, in fact, so stuck at home that he has done every idea he has ever had, 5%, run out of steam on it, and now is bored and sitting there and has to watch my show. And get some real content for. <laughs> oh, Brian! Brian called me yesterday. We almost talked for the first time in a couple of weeks, and then I called him back, and we both just missed each other. I don't know if you, if I even got to say back to you, Brian. You hit me right in the middle of writing, and I it was day two, two in a row of writing. Whoa, what's this? It's been a while, and uh, and so I wasn't quite ready to, to set that down as much as I love you. Yeah, um, and I think I believe I called him back when he was trying to record. Now, how's this work? Recording the service for Sunday? You ask him about that one. How's this one work? Wait a minute. Does it work if it's been recorded? The, um, I think it does, but I find it funny at the same time. I always wondered, like, as on radio, I never did this, but I was always bothered by it. On radio, it's very common for the bits that you hear between songs. And they're like, hey, it's like Tuesday afternoon at 2.30. The weather's pretty nice. And I'm hanging out. Soon I'll be getting outside. You know, oh, but here's this song from Who to Who, right? They're not there. They did all of that like in 30 minutes that morning <laughs> and, and it's just running now, right? And, and I always kind of felt like, you know, at, at nine in the morning being like, well, it's 4.30, I'm about ready to get out of here, you know, have a good, like, like, is that lying? At what point, at what point is it, is it good storytelling 
I'm honestly asking the question, right? My conscience was bothered by it, so I didn't do it. But but my, at what point is that good storytelling, good radio? At one point, is it is it lying? And I, I don't know. I don't think that's the case if pre-recording your sermon for Sunday. That's great, Brian. Do it. Um, but uh, um, uh, that's why we missed bases yesterday, I think. Yeah. So anyway, Brian's in the in the comments. That's the reason to keep watching, isn't it? I got Wolf Mueller on a string over here hanging out. And uh, Riff Raff says, good morning, people. Lynn Betts says, good morning, people. Paul Ash says, good morning, Miss Harris. She says, good morning. Josh Radke checks in. Josh Radke is checking in, saying, communion at home is fine if your pastor is visiting and administering it. See, the communion topic, it will not go away. I heard more from the Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim? Did I just say that because I've been listening to the soundtrack recently? It's pretty good. Um, right? It's called Pacific Rim, right? I don't even know. It's a great guitar, though. It's the movie about the robots and stuff from, like, it was a bad movie. I remember watching it. It was really bad. But the, oh, man, the guitar riffs in the in the music is amazing. In any case, news from the saltwater areas of the Missouri Synod this week is that, again, we're just going to fight with each other about communion practices while we can't talk to each other face-to-face. Sounds like a great idea, everybody. Cheers to Corona COVID land. Yeah? Um, that's why I'm turning the internet off more and more these days. Don't turn it off when I'm on, though. Please stick around. Hold on. Can anyone to say good morning? And of course, communion is going to be the topic because that is the question of are you church or not? <clears throat> is Jesus there or not? That's the question. Are Can you be church by yourself? You are an extension, a member of the body of the Christ, you know, by yourself, and therefore you are the church. But when you take a cell off your body, how long does it live, right? And so the body has to get connected to the living body that happens to be the actual guy, Jesus, not some phantasm idea symbolism thing, but the actual risen one who's ascended to the right hand of the Father. You have to get connected to that body regularly for the blood to keep pumping. And the way that this happens, go figure, is that you eat him. Yeah. And, and, and with that being odd as it is, it makes a lot of sense. And the fact that you can't even experience it and you just have to believe it makes even more sense when you dig down to the bottom of our sinful condition, which we've not even begun to do this morning. So I can't really go into that too deeply. But what I can say is this. It's a, there's good reason, as we're being forced to stop meeting together, that we're arguing about the Lord's Supper. Because that's the reason to meet together. <laughs> and so when we ask about what does it mean to keep the day holy— Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, set apart, distinct, different. And which day is this? The seventh or the eighth day? Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? The first day, the eighth day, the risen day on which they met together and was it received the apostles teaching and broke bread, right? Broke bread. Um, I'm not saying that if you've stopped, you're faithless, but I am telling you, don't tell me that I'm I'm being faithless by keeping going. (laughs) Please don't tell me that. (laughs) Jeez. Missouri, we need to take a chill pill as a group of people and realize we got bigger enemies than each other out there in this here hellish, demonic wasteland. Epicen, epicen, Babylon, a megale, ha agenita, Yeah, yeah, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She's become a haunt for demons. That's what we're up against here, present darkness, all that kind of stuff. So, Did I just speak in tongues? I did, in fact, but not biblically, I would say. Biblically, it's an apostolic gift that has passed away. What I did was I just spoke some koine. That's not really ancient. Some koine Greek at you, by the way. So that's fascinating, isn't it? That was fun. I've been working on that for a couple weeks now. Got a couple of them down. Don't usually pull them out in casual conversation, but it seemed to be fun right there. And it makes the point, the point, the point. The point is that what is going on out there behind COVID? Forget COVID. I mean, yeah, COVID. Okay, don't forget it. But the real war 
ain't about COVID. I mean, he will protect you from the plague if that's what matters. If he wants to take you out with a with a miniature micro insect flying weird non life life form thing, he's gonna do it, right? That that's not the war. For your neighbor, wash your hands. For your family, care about you know what the World Health Organization said and whether or not it's actually true, right? Yes, but the war is is about whether or not you believe in the Son of Man or in chariots and war horses and princes and kings. That's the war. That's that Psalm 33, that Formula 33. I hope we get to that a little bit later. But you guys see, you already distracted me. This is why I don't go to the comments and listen to these nincompoops who come in and hang out. Guys like Brian Wolfmuller, what is he doing here Still active in the comments. He says, it's a hornet's nest, but helpful to get our noses back into the scriptures. I think he's talking about the present, right? And I would agree with you. It is driving me personally back to the scriptures. Here's a weird one. Someone, you know, riddle me this one, Batman, right? Um, What misguided, is it Germanic Midwestern Iowa? That's my heritage. Protestant work ethic spiritual soul-draining upbringing pattern of small group mentality inbredness led to me believing so firmly in the practical value of labor and production and work that I actually feel bad when I give myself 20 minutes in the morning to look at the Bible in Greek and Hebrew. And I have at the back of my head this harpy saying to me, you're wasting time. What are you doing? You need to be doing other things for the world and for peoples and stuff because reasons. And none of it's really even that, that reliably great an argument of what I'm supposed to do necessarily, but it's always there. It's not always only there for the Bible, but it's especially there for the Bible. Is there for the Bible and for stretching, which is very odd. You would think that stretching would not have so much resistance, but it really does. I guess you might think that it would if you think about what it's doing. But that's a that's a joke. I see what I did there. Yeah, that was a joke. So um, it's strange to me that I find, as much as I'm being drawn back to the scriptures in ways I haven't been since I went to seminary, and that's another question. Seminary gave me so many skills that I'm only beginning to realize I received there now. And what I don't understand is why they didn't impart the habit to use them better then. That's a, that's a different question. But, you know, going back into the scriptures, diving into the scriptures, what I again continue to find is this resistance to it. And it's I, I'm convinced now. It's not just that I'm weird. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of us that feel the same way, that we're just kind of driven by this. And I, I'm not going to say that I believe that the false gods are actually demons that have superpowers or nothing like that per se. But I'm, I'm going to say that the clock as a God is a, is a harsh master. Oh my. And what I'm personally finding right now is I'm in a battle between the clock and my Lord Jesus Christ, just over my conscience. It's not really a big deal. It's not going to impact anybody, but me for the most part. It's just my own, you know, how do I view my own conscience, stress, anxiety management? <laughs> you know, do I allow myself 10 minutes today to wait for the Lord? Or should I should I start at, you know, say it out loud and give myself a minute of waiting for the Lord before I then continue on doing what I think should be done in his absence, right? 
and, and, and trying to find that, the habit of that, right? So if, if oratio tentatio meditatio, I did that out of order, oratio meditatio tentatio, make a theologian, right? And, and the idea is a theologian is one who knows God, oratio prayer, meditatio, meditation. This would be study or careful pondering of the scriptures, prayer of the scriptures, pondering of the scriptures, and then tentatio practice, and that means suffering with the scriptures. If these are the things that make one know God, one of the other ways that the old theologians talked about this was that it was having these things active in your life is a habit uh, or a habitus, they would call it. So it's not just a habit like, you know, picking your nose or brushing your teeth um, or, or biting your fingernails. That would be, be my particular favorite, although I do brush my teeth too. Um, not that kind of habit. Uh, more, more like breathing, you know, more, more internal, more organic more a part of your essence, your reality, right? And, and in some ways, I suppose biting your fingernails is a part of the essence of your reality. It is, you know, you're a physiological being. When I bite my fingernails, I'm either nervous or prepped. I'm usually not in a really calm state, right? That, you know, I've got some kind of a, a, a heightened fight flight going on, whether I usually it's driving or watching a movie would be the two places I, I go at it the most. That's why I clip, by the way. Um, so, so that being said, it's not as if those things aren't organically tied to your life and your spirit and your mind a little bit, but the habitus of oratio tentatio meditatio is more dynamically woven into your actual thinking processes while also being, in theory, a physical reality. Right. I mean, where do you sit and how do you sit? There's no prescribed action for this. But if you're to meditate upon the scriptures, you can't do it while watching TV. It just ain't going to happen. You know, and, and if you're going to practice the scriptures, you can't do it without knowing them, <laughs> without meditating upon them. And you can't meditate upon them if you've never even read them. That's what the prayer part is. Right. So, so finding your way into that and then believing that what do you have to show for any of this when you're done with it? What do you have to show when you're done reading the Bible? What have you got? What can you produce? I mean, really, I, you could talk, I suppose, right? You might be able to pray, right? And, and those would be just what? More words. That's all it is, words. What's their value these days? They're cheap, aren't they? Uh, the first time I think I said, thank, I, second, uh, first, second, third time, Brian was on a podcast with me and I was like, Brian, thank you so much for always doing this for me. You know, I make a little money on it sometimes and, and you don't get anything out of it. He goes, talk, it's cheap. And that's just a Proverbs. I know Brian that Brian doesn't really believe that about his own words entirely um, because he believes he speaks the golden and precious gospel, right? So that's not cheap. But we do kind of think it is. You know, the, the value of man's words has become so corrupted with lie, right? Our, our words don't hold value just because we say them. It's been so corrupted with, with lie that now we, we look upon word, concept, truth, speaking itself as, as less than ultimately real. And this is the postmodern conundrum. It's in all of our artwork. It's in all of our philosophy. Our music sings about it. That the word has been diminished. And no wonder then that in such a materialistic, again, I'd say kind of clock technology worshiping reality, that simply waiting upon the Lord by sitting and pondering one verse of his holy scriptures for 10 minutes. Well, that would just be what I think the world would call a gosh darned waste of time. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, they wouldn't call it that. <laughs> they might call it more than that. Right. And, and so somehow, because that's the water that we swim in, listen to me psychoanalyze myself here, because that's the water that we're swimming in as, as a people. 
And because of the heritage of that Protestant work ethic, where we, we believe what our authorities tell us to believe, which is good, by and large, and because we believe in the value of our hands, that uh, be the fifth commandment, caring for the, the value of, of our, our, our body's area around us, you know, uh, wasp Protestants have nice yards, right? Um, and have generally once upon a time had lasting marriages and, and good jobs and, and good names in the community, right? This, that's the fifth or eighth commandments right there. So, so all of that reality kind of was there in our heritage as culture. So I'm not demeaning my, my Midwestern Iowa upbringing entirely. There certainly were some, some areas that I bet were pushed under the carpet more than they should have been. But um, what the current new Google clock has, has done with this, I'd, I'd say previously positive work ethic, is it's made it just a very harsh slave master to the conscience of, of most working Christians. So that we are putting burdens upon ourselves and expectations upon ourselves about daily life that are simply not created. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and in large part, they are assumed. So, so yesterday, I am off tangent here, but it's your fault. Yesterday, uh, here in the, in the greater Rockford, Illinois area, we don't even have a, the 815. Here in the 815... Good morning, 815! Wake up in Rockford. Um, here in the 815 yesterday, I got a, a little video chat from one of my friends, uh, my head elder. He, you know who he is, maybe, and you can mock him a little if you want for doing this, but he showed me. He was in his minivan. Uh, it, might have been his, it might not have been his minivan. They may have been in their nicer car. I couldn't tell. Um, they, have, they have a nice little SUV, too. Uh, anyway, they're in their vehicle, and it was just his kids weren't there, I don't think, but I'm pretty sure his wife was. And he's like, so you're not going to believe this, but I'm in a traffic jam. And I'm like, what are you, traffic jam? I mean, you know, Rockford's been stable-ish. You know, there's been job losses here. Uh, there's a lot of fear, but there's not been a huge level of the outbreak. I think we're just barely over 125 total cases, like 10 a day, something like that. I mean, it's really not on the spike. It's not following the patterns. So we're, we're really out in the boons, right? So traffic jam. I mean, there's never a traffic jam in Rockford. There are streets that get busy. There are lights that are longer, but... No, 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 really, traffic jam. So what happened was there's this little tiny apple orchard just outside of town. It's about 15 minutes outside of town. Every year they do their apple picking, apple farming. You know, go go pick your own apples for more money than it would cost to buy them at the store. But it's understandable to support local, and so I'm all for it. And then they got the nice, awesome, big barn filled with stuff you can buy, candles and stuffed pumpkins and pinata, I, well, you know, whatever. There's just the stuff. You know what it is. And it all smells good. And you walk through and you touch it. So it's just, a, you know, there's like barnyard animals and then they sell cider in the fall. And then they're known because they have these, um, these donuts, homemade, old fashioned, you know what I'm talking about? A little cinnamon sugar on it, right out the oven, crispy on the outside, soft on the inside. I don't eat this stuff anymore, but I know, <laughs> I know what it can do to you. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, everyone, this is like a thing people do. So what did they do yesterday? One day only they open drive through only one dozen per family unit vehicle cash only donuts, like two square miles, both directions, cars stand still out in the middle of nowhere outside of Rockford. It's like a quarter of Rockford. The video is unbelievable. Like you just look, you're, you're in at this, like the middle of nowhere road. You've been down these roads out in the country, right? And like, you can see there's another road you're going to cross eventually way up there, but it's kind of flat, right? So nothing but cars to that road. And then both directions on that road, as far as I can see, nothing but cars and you're stuck, right? You're stuck. Um, and I, I think they could have turned around from what I could see of his video, but there were people who couldn't even turn around. Uh, that, that was interesting. 
Now, uh, he had a, my, 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 my head elder had a good point about now, how is this different than cars in a parking lot singing hymns together over MP3 players and stuff? Like, how is this, how is that being told in our state? We can't do that, but well, how's this? I don't think they asked first. <laughs> they just did it. It was it was clever though. What they did was they made they entrepreneured, right? They saw the opportunity in the crisis, and they said, "Look, there's a lot of people that are bored. A lot of people love our stuff. We're not doing anything. Let's make some bank." Uh, it, it, so it, it was uh, it was very clever of them to do that. Um, but it also uh, it demonstrated to me how much time people have right now, even if you're in like dire circumstances, right? Um, even if you've got your job going, just nothing's ever changed. You, you still have more time than you did because you can't go out to eat. Right. And grocery shopping's become a little more of like, uh, the guys may be involved to touch more in this kind of thing now. Right. Uh, and it's not that guys don't ever do the grocery shopping, but let me say you're both involved. It's become a family event, right? Not like you all go, but you're all planning and you're not going to go back. Right. Um, so, you know, all of that change going on around us and whatnot, um, there's more time and there's enough that a quarter of my town, my city is a big city, you know, it's a big, big town, small city, uh, a quarter of my town, you know, caused a traffic jam. I think, I think waiting for the Lord for 10 minutes in the morning might be okay. What do you say? Can we, can we do it? Are we allowed? And I, I tell you as much as my mental, you know, argument in my head. And if you followed all of that, that all, Translated, we all came back to where we were, right? We're right back where we started. As I try to push that thinking past my brain and into my conscience, so I can actually just stop feeling guilty about reading the Psalms, for pity's sakes. What a destructive psyche I've got. I've been talking about negative self-talk. Um, you know, we can get past that and just enjoy reading the Psalms for 10 minutes in the morning. I mean, maybe not. Maybe that's trying to beat my sinful condition. It'll never happen. You know, I mean, if you've been down that road, you know what I'm talking about. You're not going to drive the atom out. So, so I don't know. But golly, what a thing, huh? What a thing. Hey, it, that was all from your comments. I'm afraid to go back. I don't even know where we started there. But you're, 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 Brian's talking about you know charismatics now. You got pretty, wow, you guys are doing going. We're going. We're, I got to hope that next week we're going to see a lot more of that in our review roundup. I didn't see one of those this week from Frisbee, but she's been busy, busy, busy. Um, again, uh, preparing far more important things than my show notes for me, but she does that sometimes too. So thank you, Frisbee, when you do. Um, I'm going to get into these uh, the feedback right away here, right away. 25 minutes of the show. I'm going to get into the feedback from you. <laughs> Talk about holding coffee. Coffee, coffee. So we're moving to uh, email feedback from the contact page, and it's a it's a little longer, but it's also a connection to a previous comment. Uh, so we want to dig into both of those. And oh, oh yeah, that's right. I can let you see this now, can't I? Am I? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's just whoosh, do this, and then do this, and hopefully I can do this as well, and we'll be good to go. I think that worked. Did it work? Can you see it all? Not yet. I can fix that though, just like this. There we go. So greetings, uh, says John. Just listening to Saturday Morning Chill from March 9. Heard my comment. Your reply was excellent. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was a little Bill and Ted action. Uh, you asked about a little elaboration on what I see as the difference between the two congregations and the observance of the Eucharist. Right? So this is about moving from one congregation to the other and seeing you know, less good practice at one and one at the other and so forth. 
And now uh, kind of a, a commentary as someone who moved from a place where it was frustrating what he had to see going on, even though he knew the pastor didn't like it either, right? And so he was supporting a, a slow change. Uh, and then being somewhere where you've seen the results of long-term catechesis finally bring about some really great practices. So here's, here's his comments. I've thought about this for a long time. The answer boils down to catechesis. And catechesis means teaching, right? Teaching, echo, to repeat, to hear again, to know and deeply know. I'm not saying that my original church is lacking in catechesis. My original church is in the middle of catechesis, and there are years of bad practice, such as wine and the individual quote-unquote shot glasses in the garbage can. So that might be some inside baseball there a little bit, but if you believe that the body and blood of Jesus is the bread and the wine, and you believe that he doesn't really tell you when it starts or concludes, but he does tell you to eat and drink it, then eventually you start to be bothered by the leftovers if they're being treated poorly, such as left in plastic throwaway glasses in a garbage can near a toilet for a week, right? And so you're like, yeah, can we handle that better? And maybe we shouldn't have ever had those little things because they do create all sorts of catastrophe behind the scenes. If you don't have to clean them, you don't even know. Um, but, 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 uh, seeing those practices, the bigger question for you here is that you, you had your theology knew one thing was right. And then you had to watch as some other thing that wasn't quite right was being done. Um, but it wasn't as though, it was being done on purpose, right? There was some ignorance involved and there was a need to learn and learning as a group is different than learning as an individual. So I was on the board of elders, he says at this church and agreed with the pace of change. So they were trying to fix it, but do it slowly. I still agree with the pace of change, but at the time I only knew that we needed to increase good practices, weekly communion, bring back the the common cup, the chalice, I would say. Um, oh, so yeah, so they, you only had the, the you, you call them shot glasses. I'm going to call them plastic cups, um, uh, as opposed to, they're the common cups. I don't know. This will never catch on because people are used to saying common cup and common comes from koine, like communion cup, like is in the highest level of not commonality, like the holy cup. That's really what we mean by koine, which now we've translated as common and we treat it like it actually is common just because everyone shares it. And that's kind of weird and gross, which is the whole point. <laughs> um, so it's interesting that, that you would, move away from the the cup the Lord gave, and, and I get the history of why that is. I don't think any of the reasons are good ones, but I can understand why they're there, and I'm not, you know, mad at you about it. But then to actually remove the chalice, that's some, that's some brass right there. And there's quite a few places that did that entirely in the LCMS. I've served one, uh, and thanks be to God, they didn't do it I was only there a year, and they didn't bring the chalice back that year, but they did within three years, which is marvelous, just absolutely marvelous. Um, and so it's it's a strange thing, by the way, as a pastor, talking about, you know, we talked earlier in the show, I did that bit about, you know, I record it now, is it real later, all that kind of stuff. And so, so if I hold up, like, a tray of cups and say, on the night when he was betrayed, also after supper, he took the cup. Like, what's the referent point of my word at that point? When I'm saying the word cup, what am I talking about? If there's no chalice anywhere, right? There's no actual cup. There's just a bunch of cups. Now, I guess I could use the English singular cup as a symbolic plural for all the cups, which then applies to you, right? You can, you can work some kind of jigsaw out in your head to get there. But it is a strange thing, isn't it? Isn't it, though? I mean, this is my thing about it. Whenever you look at these practices that kind of wiggle their way into changing the Lord's Supper and gradually dividing us from the actual bread and wine as our unifying factor, 
whatever form it may take, be it COVID lockdowns or individual cups, the devil knows what he's doing and we don't. And so when we go, oh, we can change it. I just go, why? And that's my whole argument. Why? All that being said, I'm, I'm just I'm just riffing here again on that you were hoping to get the chalice back. Good for you, because it should be available for those who desire it, um, rather than taking it away. And I would never, by the way, take away uh, the individual cups of my parish. I've told them this before. I'm gonna, I'm going to be very vocal. I don't like them. I don't think they're good, but I will never take them away from you. It is my hope. Eventually, you decide to throw them away yourself, and you know, and that'll be something that you would do all together. And the last person here who still wants it will put out the one cup for them. You know, because that's, we're not going to take that away from them and, and force them into a, uh, what, what I believe is an Orthodox practice of the supper. I, I do believe it is, but I, you're not going to achieve faith by the law. And, and insofar as the substance of the meal is not being destroyed by the individual cups, they are what they are. Um, they're, they're an anomaly is what they are. They're distraction. But that's again, why, why do you want a distraction right, right there at the heartbeat? Why, why would you want to do that? Right, um, it's it's something to become an idol if we want it to be. So in any case, so you were you were involved trying to teach the altar guild better practices with the elements pre and post communion. Yeah, right, and that takes time. Right, it takes time to have it like lock through your head. Like, oh, that guy thinks it's still Jesus. Oh, maybe it is. <laughs> hmm. Perhaps we should treat it like it's God. Hmm. You know, and, and, and the, the fine line there, like it doesn't mean that you put it in an ark and you parade it around town and you bow down to it. No, you do what he said, right? You eat, you drink, you wash with water, you pour it out, all that kind of stuff. And, and, but just to believe that, right? That's part of the piety. Um, uh, so, uh, but, but you were missing something you said. So the contrast with the new church, very established catechesis on this issue. So they have a long history of building this understanding there, which again, it takes time. So I'm seeing it from the end rather than the middle, uh, which, uh, began the serious look into the Eucharist. I've also been exposed to Arthur Just. So Dr. Arthur Just, he's a prof. I believe he's still active. Uh, he's gotta be near in retirement though, uh, or at least emeritus status at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. The one I'd recommend if you asked where you should go to seminary. He's done a lot of work over his lifetime on drawing us back to the central reality of the Lord's Supper as the heartbeat of the church. Uh, he did not directly inspire my book. In fact, I've, I've had very little contact with uh, Dr. Just in time. We know of each other. Um, uh, but I'm, I, I do know that he's pushed the practice of table fellowship as unifying and centralizing to the congregation. He pushed it. He's just reformed it, brought it back, made it something in the awareness of graduates coming out of that seminary, which frankly, coming out of my seminary, the other one, um, didn't quite have that. I had to find it in Sasa um, uh, and whatnot. In any case, so Just has done a lot of work and he's impacted a lot of people. So your exposure to him, his doctoral thesis, good for you reading at that level, that's not easy, um, caused a rethinking for you. I see the supper as more central to the Christian life now. Amen, amen. Yeah, uh, I see also many Lutheran churches, the emphasis is put on preaching the word and not eating and drinking the word. I think we should be doing the former, not neglecting the latter. I'm pretty sure your book deals with this. My confession is I haven't bought it yet. Never fear. It's on the list. I'm not afraid. <laughs> um, so yeah, e preaching the word versus eating and drinking the word versus both. Yeah, um, versus both. And there's something about preaching the sacraments and eating and drinking 
the word, right? Uh, oh, or it says, so preaching, preaching the sacraments, eating and drinking the sacraments. They're, they're tied to each other. So there's another article um, that I don't intend to turn into a book, it, but it's in another anthology that I read that, you know, I'll get in trouble for recommending because it's an anthology of Gerhard Ferdi's writings. And I cannot recommend everything Gerhard Ferdi ever said, but this article called Preaching the Sacraments, wow, sacramental preaching maybe? It's, it's in a book called, oh, what's, his, what's that book? It's this big anthology of his. Mm, it, was, it was a good, the preached God. It's in the preached God, which I believe there is an article in there that has some real problems. Um, but uh, the one on preaching the sacraments, yeah, oh my goodness, is it something else? So yeah, the idea that both of these things live with each other and that your church architecture says this, by the way, if you are in a classic, we should call them that, forget traditional, classic, vintage. Uh, if you are in a classic sanctuary, you will see that the altar is centralized. Even if you're in a sacramentarian, an old sacramentarian sanctuary, you'll see a centralized table. Uh, there was a psychological subconscious acknowledgement that the meal was the deal. And then you would see in various places near this places for the word, whether it was just to the left or right, like you might see it today, or whether the the place for preaching was kind of up and behind and over in the middle so that he could have all three stories in this giant square, hear him while have a one side, have the altar, right? Um, you had that happen too. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, the way they handled pre-electricity, pre-grid, pre-grid lifestyle. Um, uh, regardless, the emphasis, wherever that word got moved, was never to detract or move away from that table, that altar, but that it was to push you back to it. So why would the word come to the center of the congregation so you could hear it and it would drive you forward to that table? Now, if you compare this with, oh, you could also throw the font in this. Where is the font? What's it doing? And there's, there's reasons. We won't go into that today. But the font has a purpose and a placement. And the worst one I ever saw, which this is not it, was it folded out of the wall in the side of the the narthex or what not the narthex it was the the chancel like you had to like pull it out of the wall as like this opening a weird weird let's hide the baptismal font that's a great idea um so we won't get into all of that but what you do notice now is there has been a tendency a trend a pattern particularly in revivalistic churches to remove the altar or the table altogether you got to make room for the trap set somehow um, so you could be kind of jaded about it, but the, but the, the bigger issue is your architecture says something so that when you start emphasizing the word over the sacrament, well, that's what you really believe. And then that's what you're really going to get. Uh, you're going to get logos over pathos. Yeah. Um, head knowledge over heart knowledge, actually, in fact, because you're going to take away the experience, uh, the mystery um, and, and I'm not saying that it's all about experience and mystery or that we should get away, get rid of Logos, right? You need all of these things. And, and frankly, the only confession in history that continues to say this is the one of 1580 and the Lutheran Reformation. And I know the Calvinists, you're trying, you're really close to some of you. Uh, we can debate that, right? But this idea that the Lord's Supper is central to Christian life, I mean, how did we ever lose that? And the fact that so many of our churches don't even have the main piece of furniture there anymore, or the ones that do don't treat it oh, like it's the altar of the Holy God's death and resurrection, joining as a blood ritual with you. Think on that for 10 minutes. Wait for the Lord a little bit, right? I also see that in many Lutheran churches, the emphasis is on preaching the word. Oh, I see you said that already. Blah, blah, blah. You read it. I read it. That's good.
is good. So what about the grape juice? Let's move on. Another question. Same direction, kind of. Daniel says this. I want to thank you for all you're doing with your YouTube channel, the newsletter, and thank the mad team there too. And I have greatly appreciated learning from you over the last couple of years, starting with WeTV and now through your own YouTube channel. Cool. Bueno. Second, I have a question regarding communion. Is it acceptable to use grape juice instead of wine? Is it actually the blood of Christ or does the grape juice negate that? If the latter, did I partake of communion wrongly when I took grape juice bread at the LCMS church near me recently? I didn't know it was grape juice instead of wine when I partook. My first inclination is that yes, Christ's blood and body were present because the word of God is efficacious and to say that it is hindered by grape juice seems silly. Thanks in advance, Daniel. Yeah, cool. Good question. Disagree with solution. Um, not because your theology is wrong when you talk about that the efficaciousness of the Word of God. You're absolutely correct about the efficaciousness of the Word of God. The question is, at what point have you changed the Word of God so it's no longer the Word of God? So if God says, hey, Moses, take two tablets of stone, craft them, and write ten commandments on them, I'll write with my own finger on them, and Moses brings him two tablets of wood, how's that go with God, right? Everything we know about God, when, when he's like, okay, so like this. And we're like, oh, like this? And he's like, no, <laughs> you know, fire, <laughs> uh, unholy fire, right? So, so the thing is, if we're going to take the last will and testament of the Lord, Jesus Christ, the King, the one and only, ascended and risen now, yes, reigning, my actual liege, Lord have mercy, the one to whom I submit and against whom the world cowers in fear, huh? If we're going to take his last will and testament seriously, well then, I don't think we should change anything we don't have to change. And we've got to change locations. We can't meet in the upper room. We don't even know where it was. Right? Um, vintage of wine, air temperature in the room. The Bible doesn't speak about any of these things. There's no words for these things. But there's a couple words. And one of them is the word weenos. And I know that sounds funny, weenos. But if you just kind of hear it as Greek and not as English, okay? It's Greek, weenos. But it is English. We just pronounce it really weird. We pronounce weenos as wine. That's the word in the Greek. It's the only word you have in the ancient world for the fruit of the vine, okay? So, so when you're going to drink thing the juice of grapes you're always going to have the word wine being the word used and there's a reason for that and it's not because they hadn't thought up a way to talk about juice or how great juice is they didn't have juice there was no such thing as juice if you wanted grape juice you had to drink it from the grape the day they're mashing it and normally they wouldn't do that you would be spoiling the wine that way <laughs> So what they did instead was they put the juice immediately into skins, where within a day you would have a low level of wine, but it really wasn't that great. It certainly wasn't pasteurized. It would eventually either go bad or you could again ferment it with care and have it turn into wine. And the new wine, that'd be the cheap wine. That'd be what the um, you would drink if you really wanted to get drunk. And then the old wine, well, that would be the good wine, which I guess if you're wealthy, you could drink and get drunk on. But by and large, you would save for significant events. So I don't know, like Passover. <laughs> you know, and I don't know what kind of wine Jesus used or had that day. So, But what I do know is that he had to have wine. 
because there was no such thing as pasteurization. In fact, pasteurization, this gets so much better. I've said this before on this show, channel, world, I don't know. Can you ever say it enough? The history's out there. Go check it out on Wikipedia. It's, it's right there. Pasteurization is developed by a gentleman named Welch. You may have heard of Welch's grape juice, which you probably didn't get on the back of the label. Was that he was a he was a teetotaler? He was a teetotaling. Excuse me. He was a teetotaling Protestant pastor. That means he was an anti-alcohol crusading. What? What do you call it? Social justice warrior. Liberal. Well, I don't know. Certainly on the sacraments, liberal view, materialistic view, progressive Protestant activist pastor develops pasteurization so that he can remove wine from the Lord's Supper. That's why we have grape juice. So that we can remove wine from the Lord's Supper. Now, forgive me if at this point in history, I'm like, yeah, let's just not do that one then. (laughs) Maybe that was the devil's play all along. You think? And, and here, here's the thing. Could, could Jesus' words on the night he was betrayed delivered to us over grape juice pasteurized by Welsh himself actually be the body and blood of Jesus? Well, is, is God Almighty and omnipotent? Yes, absolutely. Could actually be the body and blood of Jesus. But do we know that it is? And that's where your answer, even if it's like, well, I pretty think I think so. It's my opinion that well, then it's what? Oh, it's your opinion. So do we know? No, we do not know that it is. And so that 1% or less smidgen of doubt, right there at this is his blood. You got the body, but you didn't get the blood. Maybe, maybe you did. Ah, what the hey? I mean, is that is that the approach? Or is it like, well, how about we be sure because you know it's the gospel. Is the life of your eternal reality. Let's let's be certain on this thing and not institute doubt. For what reason and to what end? To what end do we need grape juice in the supper for anybody? And if your answer is the alcoholic, I say a glass of water with a drop of wine in it will do just fine. So there's answers. There's always answers. And then there's the everlasting diabolically subtle, behind-the-scenes, never-forward argument, attack of the devil, which he just wants to divide that meal from any angle that he can. And we we are ill-prepared for this fight, I tell you. Yeah. Um, wake up, Christianity. Wake up. So, um, were you wrong? Okay. Did you partake of communion wrongly? Now, I wouldn't put yourself immediately into the realm of um, you did not discern the body and have drunk judgment upon yourself. Like, don't don't go there yet. What happened was um, you were not catechized well, and you were at a church that has not been catechized well on that matter with a pastor who on that matter apparently has not been catechized well. You know, there's worse things in the world. Um and, and so in ignorance, you partook of half of the supper. I mean, to, to answer the question in like a scholastic way, you have to like do battle with medieval Roman Catholics and the question of uh, uh, concomitance, right? So the idea is that if you have the body of Christ and it's really the living body of Christ, well, then there's always blood there. So there's blood in the bread as well as in the cup, uh, as well. And so the bread is body and blood, and then the cup's just the blood. And so if we give you just the bread, you're fine. You got both anyway. That's concomitance. It's a Roman Catholic teaching. And it's really kind of weird. And, uh, you know, you can go there to try to, like, justify your your, your eating and drinking in semi-ignorance. 
Um, or you can really just not worry about it that much and believe that God has now given you a fuller understanding of reality and you're going to pursue the best practice at all costs and won't go do it on purpose. Don't go, don't do a high handed sin. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not that big a deal for, for at least a solid year and a half as a Missouri Synod Lutheran, but ignorant as the day is long and Methodist in my theology as uh, the night is short. Um, (laughs) I, I, I communed at a reformed altar for a solid year and a half without thinking twice about it. And then went, I was back home at my LCMS altar on, on holidays. And then off I went to seminary. Nobody even bothered to ask. I mean, they did, but not, not that question. And it wasn't until seminary. I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Do I look back and worry? No, I don't. I'm forgiven. I'm going to, I'm going to commune well now. I am baptized. This is, this meal is not here to take away my faith, which is the point. So let's leave it there. Let's trust it for what it is. Let's get our fingers out of the thing and wait on the Lord on this one, at least this one place where he's put his flag in the ground. How about we just not mess with that one and just keep doing it just like he said? I don't, I don't think it's that radical a, a request. <laughs> I, really, I, I think it's pretty tame. As, as like a platform for universal church unity beginnings, it's humble. Kind of tame, don't you think? It's kind of tame. So, thanks for the question, Daniel. I hope that helps. You don't. I don't think you need to worry about it. But was it uh, was it a heterodox practice? Yes. So, was it wrong? Yes. Um, are you forgiven? Yes. Is the pastor forgiven? If he wants to be, yes, absolutely. If he thinks it's great, I'm going to defend it till the judgment day. Well, then have fun with that. I, I'm not your judge. <laughs> Jesus is. Talk to him, and you're good with it. Okay, fine. He can he can regulate between us on that day. I'm not going to commune with you. <laughs> but you know, I. Uh, yeah, dear Pastor Fisk, moving on. This one, this one's gonna go. If, if we haven't tangented yet, we're gonna tangent now. Sit back, buckle in, dear Pastor Fisk. Thank you for answering my question about Jesus' two natures on Saturday morning chill. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Thanks also for engaging with my comment about Christians in the Old Testament. You pointed me to the small catechism on this, but honestly, please, I need to find help where. Did you mean belief in the communion of saints in the Apostles' Creed? Now, unfortunately, I did not memorize my answer, so I don't know what part I was referencing without going back and looking at the argument. Um, but we'll see if we can work this out uh, by the time we're at the end. But two natures in Christ, no, I mean, where that is most directly in the small catechism is in the second article of the Creed, um, begotten of his father, born of the Virgin Mary, right? Um that reality is the two natures in Christ. Uh, and it's all of it, right? There, there's nothing more or less than that, although you can you can uh, tarnish or bend those meanings and then have to have more said to stop the misunderstanding. But by itself, uh, begotten of the Father, I'm going nice scene now, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, uh, and then uh, born of the Virgin Mary, you know, for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. Yeah. You know, so, so that's your catechism in my mind, even though I went Nicene rather than apostolic and normally the apostles would be the primary catechism creed. You know, you move from that catechism creed into the depths of what it means on every surface and level within the scriptures. Right? Uh, and that would include then of course the Nicene and the Athanasian creed as other confessions, other, other uh, pointing places. So I think that's probably what I meant. Although when you ask, you know, the communion of saints absolutely is a confession of the historicity of Christianity in the Old Testament. The common 
union of all God's holy ones in Jesus, both Old and New Testament saints. Absolutely. So to believe in the church is to believe in the Old Testament church. It's not to separate from it. It's to separate from, it's to have Judaism go out from it, right? To, to truly exile Judaism as a religion that happens with, with uh, 70 AD, right? Um, uh, so, but that creed of the forgiveness of sins, uh, communion of saints, uh, that, that, those are things that existed in the past. Even, and you know, this, I'm going to stretch this one a little bit here, but even one baptism for the remission of sins is an Old Testament reality in shadows. So the fullness is the baptism that we see in the New Testament, but the shadow was there all along. And so they were all baptized into Moses. Paul says it himself. Go look it up. They're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they drank of the spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. This is in the book too, by the way. It's a whole chapter on 1 Corinthians. So, um, and, and it's what the whole book's about, is, is that. Uh, but, but, but. So the point is, um, all the parts of the third article of the creed, the third thing about God, who God is according to his Holy Spirit person, <laughs> uh, is he is one through Old and New Covenants. And that common union, that washing, and that resurrection, that's always there. So, okay, so that's, I don't know if that was, again, your question, but um, did the Holy Christian Church begin at Pentecost, Acts 2, or back in the Garden of Eden? Well, good, okay, so because we do talk this way sometimes. We talk about the Holy Christian Church beginning at Pentecost. What we mean by that is not that there was no Holy Christian Church that is the saved in the previous era, it had never been called ecclesia before. So this word church, ecclesia, this is new in the New Testament. Before Pentecost, Jesus talks about it in, in his life. I see the super chats. I'm going to come back. I missed one earlier. I'll come back to you. Sorry. Um, I, so uh, the Holy Christian Church, Jesus is talking about this before Pentecost and referring to it as an active reality. He also believes, I think pretty firmly, that he is the Holy Christian Church. He is the gathering. They lifted up on a pole. I will gather all men to myself. Right. So that's just John three. Uh, so the Holy Christian Church is this bigger reality, but the word church gets used New Testament, and then on Pentecost Day you have that New Testament shift from circumcision to baptism, from Passover to supper, as regular weekly practice, which hasn't stopped somewhere in the world to this day right? Um, that's what we mean when we say the church began at Pentecost. We mean that the word and sacrament as New Testament realities of baptism and supper and proclaiming the resurrected Lord, that began at Pentecost. But back in the Garden of Eden, proclaiming the resurre resurrected Lord before he did it was already there. And then the blood which needed to cover you in shadow was already there. And the need to be washed, to eat and drink again, the right things was already there. So all of it was there, but under shadow, under guise, right? And, and, and so in one way, we would say the Holy Christian Church doesn't so much begin at Pentecost is that it is the coming out party uh, <laughs> for the world. It is revealed to the world at, at Pentecost as the gloriously purchased bride. Uh, so some of what I'm getting here with you is this uh, teaching from a pastor during my congregation of third year of pastoral vacancy, a building up of my faith with the word to share with others, uh, a sense that you really care about us faceless ones out there. I do. I care about, I care about conscience. Um, it's selfish at the end of the day because we always are, right? So in some ways I am, I'm always preaching the gospel because I need to hear it so desperately. Um, 
but I really do know that darkness and I know what the hope does to salve and smother that darkness, if only for a breath. And um, nothing matters to me more than that for me. And why would I not want that for you then? Why would I want anything less for anybody else? And that is, that's a driving passion for me. But I, I'm trying to like catalog, like what really drives me so I can, I can better orient my goals around it and kind of trick myself into achieving goals. This is like a Tim Ferriss hack. I won't go into it, but so I'm trying to like really be honest about like, what are my, my purpose is the wrong word. Um, but like, uh, uh, I don't know, pathos is the, the things that make you go, right? What are you, what are you zealous about? And, and trying to be honest and not just write down the things I think I should be zealous about, right? Like the dutiful things. But I mean, what am I really zealous about? And, and one of them, um, and I'm trying to remember how I said it now though, cause it was so on point with this. Uh, it, it was about, it was about wanting every conscience to be light and free. Um, and that that really does, it's just of the four or five things I I've got that drive me, like one of them is I just want you to be lightened. And I'm not very good at this personally, by the way, my family does not feel light. I don't think <laughs> living with my, my crazy, but, um, but it is what I desire for you all. And I'm not faking that. Um, not a bit. Okay. I'm trying to go back here real fast. I want to continue with this email, but I don't want to miss. We had some super chats way back that I have just been so remiss and I know there was one before Mrs. Harris. Where are you? I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Sorry, uh, podcast listeners. This is me scrolling a mouse. This is one of those motions that I can only do so many times before it starts to really hurt. Let's see. There it is. Uh, Cafe Sola. Good morning. Cafe Sola says uh, for 10 bucks. Thank you so much. Can COVID panic and crisis lead to mission panic and evangelism crisis, which would connect a little bit to our question about the Holy Christian Church here. Just a touch because what is evangelism and what is mission panic you know what cafe solo i'm gonna hold you in the corner right here for just a moment we're gonna stick with john the sacramentarian super chat for five bucks just says thank you and smile john thank you for listening watching conversing as always absolutely and then we got one more down here i, I missed my mrs harris where did you go mrs harris Missed a Cafe Solo Super Chat. Oh, so so you're telling me if I miss Super Chats, I get more Super Chats? Is that what you... T this is not good positive feedback from my behavior. You understand. Um, so, and then uh, Jadine uh, throws in um, a question about the talk about evangelizing. Okay, well, with the talk about evangelizing, what about Ephesians 4? Okay, so both of you guys hang on. I'm going to leave you sitting right here. We're going to finish what we're on. We're going to go back to those things because they're going to connect and flow out of the rest of this email here, right? So let's finish this email. So the church started Pentecost. Yes, but no. I mean, yes, as we see it with bread and wine. Yeah. Um, but no, not as we've had it always there according to the proto-gospel, uh, the evangel, um, the uh, uh, the absolute speaking of God's promise to save us. Okay, so that, that's where we're digging into. And then we have the rest of your feedback here. Um, I really appreciate this kind of feedback. I don't know if the rest of you like hearing it, uh, but, you know, sorry I'm unable to support you financially. You know what? That's there for when you can and you want to. Uh, the last thing I want anybody doing is, is supporting me out of guilt. You're just, you're, you're helping pay my salary. 
salary. Make no mistake about this. Um, but uh, you certainly shouldn't feel guilty about that. This is all out here for free. Uh, and I am banking on and believing in the power of internet network and uh, the, uh, the law of averages and the way that these kind of fandoms, quote unquote, work, uh, that it, the best option always is you just give it all away as much, much as you possibly can. Um, and then, you know, those who want to help will be sufficient. It's not enough to retire on, but it's enough to make a living, right? That's, that is the old bardic way, which cheers your local bard, uh, would be wizard. <laughs> uh, the old bardic way is sing for your supper. So, so you know what? Don't worry about it. Please don't. And just enjoy, please just enjoy. Um, uh, you are buying without flesh, and that's that is supporting me. It's a different kind, and it's not as much, to be sure. But look, this is there for you to like eat. So please, Easter egg money. God bless you. Oh, and you're so you're not even eighteen yet. God bless you. You don't have to support me. I'm praying for you and your dust soon. Hey, 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 hey. So dust, you're gonna get pieces of dust finally. Um, I'm I I shouldn't. So hard with your baby when you're writing. You're afraid to share it. What if your baby's ugly? What will they say? So in any case, I'm real excited. I got some actual work riding in this week. All of the last two weeks of reorienting my goal set and focus and, you know, information management, church management, structure management, planning, annual, all this stuff to create writing space every single day. Um, led to two solid days. Uh, can't do it this morning. Can't do it tomorrow morning, but we'll get back on it Monday. Two solid days of writing this week, and you're going to see some dust in the newsletter when it goes out this week, which... I'm excited about it. You're actually not going to get the, the opening lines of the book. You're going to get the back cover, but it it's important. It's kind of opening lines-ish at the same time, and I don't know. It's fun. I'm having fun. So I'm, I'm glad you're looking forward to that. Another super chat. We'll catch you. We're going to pile up here. Thank you, Willard. Uh, uh, I'm glad you're looking forward to Dust. Um, Jesus keeps us fearless. No weapon forged against you will prevail. That's a nice one right there. Look at that one. That is such, oh my goodness. Thank you. Another, um, we're having super chats uh, left and right here. Uh, golly. And then now I can't see it though, but I heard it. Uh, anyway, um, this is such a good one. Okay. So one of the things with Formula 33 I want to talk about is like your own, you know, private Bible verse book uh, for memorizing awesome things to say out loud just randomly. And this one is great, right? No weapon forged against you will prevail. Now, again, so... Just envision this one with me. Like you're hanging out with your, your Christian friends. I'm going to put myself back where I was. It's been a long time since I was in this. But back in the day, this would be pre-COVID, of course. You know, it's Thursday night and I got my Christian friends and we're all kind of nerds and we're all nice kids. And, you know, some of us are dating each other. Some of us are not. There's you know, five, seven, eight of us hanging out. We're going to watch a movie. We're going to go do whatever, right? And now imagine that it's all done. The movie's over. You finished Veggie Tales or Gladiator or whatever. And literally we did both of those things. And, and um, and you're about to leave, you know, they're all sitting, they're getting ready to, and you're the first one to walk out the door. And you just like, you turn around and instead of saying goodbye, you just said, my friends, remember no weapon forced against you shall prevail. And don't blink. You just turn around and keep going. You just go right. If Christians talked like that, I think people would join Christianity. If we just did that, like all the time, individually and personally, like you got your own little book of weapons spells for crazy moments like that, where you just turn goodbye into something truly awesome. You just told them the gospel, no weapon forged against you shall prevail. <laughs> it's so awesome. That is great. So thank you, Lynn. Thank you for sharing that with me this morning. Um, uh, and then you wrote in again, a quick follow-up. 
So your earlier question, you rewatched the episode, you believe you understood it better. Good. I believe you're talking about, in general, Lutherans not knowing the faith and not specifically pointing me to the small catechism. Yes, correct. And yes, it's definitely not about you and at your age, my, my friend, right? Uh, having several in your age bracket in my own home, probably. Um, it's always all about you in your head until you realize it's not. And then it still will be, but good on you for realizing it's not. And that's a lifelong battle. And um, God bless you. It's tough at your age because it's just so overwhelmingly, seemingly all about you. Um, do, 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 do. But it should not be and is not. And we got another super chat. So now we're going to dig into some super chats here. Now, how can I can I do this? It's, they're all going to go away. Look at me. Be amateur. Let's make sure we don't have any auto focusing going on. And we're going to come back. We'll do them in reverse order. We will catch them all. Luke Earth 13, thank you so much for the 50 bucks. Any quick thoughts on how things we've lost in the last month can help us rediscover the first article? Yes. Have you spent more time with your family this week? I have. I can't believe it. I, I didn't realize how much time I was driving. And, and I don't think I was driving that much more than most people. But that extra hour a day, that's insanely valuable. And, and what we've been doing is going on walks, discovering the family sitting, waiting together for 10 minutes in the middle of the day and just talking for no good reason about life and each other and what we like. I mean, isn't that interesting? It, like, like why, why was there so little of this? What was, what was the hurry? Where were we going? What am I missing right now besides volleyball? And it's not season, but it'd be baseball, right? Like what, what else were we doing? And I'm kind of convinced that, um, for my part, I'm going to tell a story. My wife likes furry animals. This has been a long and glorious battle between us. I don't dislike them, but I don't like the rodents as much. She doesn't mind the rodents so much. And we've been unable to have a cat or a dog due to child allergies. And so we've tried different things. And we recently discovered that indeed the rodents also have allergies and the guinea pig allergy is a nasty thing to behold. Um, I myself have learned, I also have one, I, apparently. All this being said, my first introduction to this was her original hamster, guinea pig? No, no not guinea pig, hamster, gerbil, um, pebble. And Pebble uh, was a shrew. I mean, she wasn't, but golly, that was a mean little thing. And <laughs> um, my experience with with Pebble and with uh, Pebble's absolute ability to, uh, to to make me hurt <laughs> as she bit me, and I no go away, little rat, like that kind of thing. Um, that established kind of the way that that we view. Uh, these animals, right? And, and how we care about these animals together. Um, I've always been reticent to them, but she's been winning me over more and more to believing that the value in, in these animals is again, time spent with creation. So this is where I'm trying to get back to your question a little bit, right? So right now, whether it's the animal, like the chickens, I've, I've always hated our chickens too. I don't hate them, but I've always just not liked our chickens. Yeah. Why? Well, they're always in the way, and you got to clean the poop, and all this stuff. What if cleaning the poop is what life's about? What if that's kind of a good thing, right? And what if these little birds are just there because God gave them to you to enjoy? And I'm not saying you have to go have chickens, but I think each of us right now is in a situation where we're having to reassess what's right in front of us, and I think we're in a place where we can see its value that we couldn't a month and a half ago. The, the local proximity reality. The, you know, there's been this global flattening of the world via the internet. 
And I don't think it's going to go away. But what I'm having wake up is, what about my neighborhood? What about my county? Why am I so not involved in those things, which in fact had the power to shut down, right? If I'm worried about my church being shut down, wouldn't it be better off having like a, a member or being on the county board? You know, if I really want to help the community, right? So, and it's not necessarily for me to go do these things. It's just, I think this kind of thinking, local thinking, that would be where we can really, as Lutherans right now, look at your neighborhood, look at your local governance on the smallest level that you can actually get involved and say, it's time to care about my world as Lutherans, as a Lutheran. And enough of this trying to make our little enclave congregation hiding spots for German culture. And let's just go be part of it out there. We've got to support each other more. Um, means your family's got to be strong. Uh, but I, I just think we have to be aware of the lo- localities and that this moment for me, that's what's been doing for me. So I, I hope that helps there, Luke. I, I don't know. I think I could have said more. Um, I feel like I lost a thread there maybe with the hamster. There was a there was a better part I wanted to get to and I didn't get to it. But thank you so much for that. That's a huge super chat, by the way. Another big one from Willard. Uh, 20 bucks says, maybe a question for next week now that you've mentioned moved on. But another question about the Lord's Supper. Speaking of chalice versus individual glasses, how about bread that is actually blessed and broken versus wafers? Okay, so bread's a kind of a different challenge for different reasons. And, and the biggest challenge reason is crumbs. That's the hardest thing. So unless we're going to be baking kind of, um, uh, I don't know what you call this. Uh, uh, the, the, I've lost it. There's an Indian bread that we used to get. Uh, I don't get bread anymore. Nafa? Not naf naf. I can't think of it. Uh, you know, unless you're making these like fresh off the griddle, large, thin pancake breads like they would have been making back then, which don't have a crumb problem nearly like our breads do today. Um, you, you got a crumb problem. And so how do you manage the crumbs, uh, which are, are Jesus? And again, you know, are we overthinking this? Maybe, maybe. Um, so, but I, I would say there, I got nothing against if you really wanted to do that. Sanitation is the biggest issue is going to be with uh, making your own bread. If you really wanted to make your own bread, and you had a group that was willing to give that time every week to doing it, you know, right there in church that morning and bringing up the warm bread, you know, instead of the money, <laughs> you know, for, for to be blessed and given out. I don't know that I would necessarily stand against that on principle. My question would always be, what are you trying to achieve with this particular little battle you're starting? Because it's going to be a battle and then some to get that kind of practice instituted. What's the end goal gain you're getting after this small skirmish? Uh, what is it? What does it achieve for you? And I don't see anything being achieved at the end of the day. Um, whereas, unless you're going to say that because the bread, that in theory is all of one lump still, has been broken before it's been spoken about, um, which, you know, it says he broke it and said, so it was already broken when he spoke, right? Um, unless you're going to say that that stops it from being Jesus... What's the argument for for not letting it just remain what it is, what we've inherited? It seems to work pretty well. Um, unless you're going to argue that you must break it when he broke it. Now, now you're opening a Pandora's box of things, though, because now it's not just about what he said. Now it's about the actions and motions of the minister proper, right? It's not just about the bread and the wine and the words. It's about that individual cup may not, in fact, even be 
right? Uh, and and I, you really want to go down that one? I, I don't want to go down that one. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's it's honest at the start, at the end of the day, um, because it's of one lump, which scripture says, uh, more or less. And maybe you got two lumps this Sunday, right? But by and large, when you're having a package of stuff come in the mail as Ben Prep, they're, they're not making like all of this out of like smaller lumps. They're using one giant lump and making a bunch of small stuff. And so it's all of one lump. It's all broken, just as he said. Now you're taking eat its bread. Um, is it the best bread? Could it be better bread? You know, we try not to get. I mean, there's different levels of of pasty cracker too. So um, all that, but it just what's the end goal? It, it, you only have so many battles you get to fight in your life. You only get so many things you get to do in a day. You only got so much this year you can actually endeavor to change. Why this one? What other end goal does this get you to? And maybe it's just to emphasize the practice viscerally of the supper. Yes, you're doing that with innovation at the same time. And I'm just going to say it's a, you're fighting uphill, right? So I, I, I haven't shared this thought for a very long time. It's one of my absolute favorite Proverbs that's not in the Bible ever. It's Sun Tzu from The Art of War, which I have read one time through, and I probably should read slowly. It's really a slow read, not a fast read, <laughs> like Proverbs. Um, in any case, this one stuck with me. He said, and it's just, it's so obvious, but it's not when you're in the middle of it. He said, use the high terrain and fight downhill. Use the high terrain and fight downhill. And ever since I read that, I have made an effort to ask myself, Another way of saying it is, am I in the kill zone right now? Am I standing in the kill zone? Is this the kill zone? Is that the... Oh, there's the sniper post up there. I'm going to go stand up there right now. And then I'm going to get in the fight. <laughs> so if you can assess your scenario, whether it's with your three-year-old or whether it's with, you know, the orange man, right? Uh, if you can assess where you're standing at that moment, are you in the kill zone or not? Uh, or are you on the high terrain? And so I would say your suggestion, I've never seen the high terrain for that suggestion in, in five plus eight plus congregations of various levels of service, 10 plus congregations of various levels of service across the country. Right. Um, it, it uh, I've never seen the high terrain for this one. So you've got to have a good reason for this fight. And I just, I just don't see it, but I do appreciate the super chat. No question about it. Okay. So Jimmy Dean way back asked about, the talk about evangelizing. What about Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, implying that evangelism is a specific office for specific people? Let's not do an illegitimate totality transfer. Oh, dear heavens, did he drop the big old school words on you? He did. Ooh, but it's while and covering, turning an actual paper uh, to Ephesians chapter 4. Feel free to turn along with me. I, 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 I do have a way to show you the Bible, but I'm not going to right now. Oh, come on now. Galatians, Ephesians, you're right there. All right. But I'm just, I'm kind of practicing, again, during this Corona crazy. I've shared this other places, right? Like, like this is my Paladin's Holy Book, you know? It's like, oh, I touch this thing. Oh, I love it. It's got my name on it and everything. It says Pastor, so it's, it's better, right? Not necessarily. Um, but... I do want to work from it a little bit more than I have been in life, and this is an opportunity. So Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 is in the middle of this extended section that's pretty difficult, and I may need to pull this one up. We'll, we'll see if we can do it without it on the screen. Um, I need to work on that in the new locale, the new studio, the overhead camera, so you can shoot down right on this here. We'll, we'll get that thing going back again like in the olden days. All right, all right. So it's an extended section, Ephesians 4, that is quite awkward. Paul... You think I tangent 
Okay. So imagine being the guy trying to write down what I'm saying at the pace I'm maybe saying it and turn it into a letter that's like two chapters, three chapters of a real book long. Um, that's maybe what people had to deal with with Paul sometimes. And you get some, you get some written down stuff. Remember, Paul didn't write this by hand. He was, he was definitely orating and whether or not he was pausing or not, or we don't know, but you get some moments where he goes off on that hamster story tangent, right? And, um, you're not sure where he went and he comes back, but it can be very easy to forget where you came from before because you don't even know where he went. Right. And so, and now he's back on the previous topic and he didn't, explain where he went and you're just kind of stuck with it. That's, that's one of these places. Okay. So to try to see that, and and the editors even do this by throwing parentheses marks into it and everything. And, and it, it still doesn't make it legible as a paragraph. It it is very challenging. Now I think it does. When I say legible, you can make sense of it. We would never write this sentence in English or this paragraph in English today. You would not get out of high school with this in a paper. It's just too complicated a sentence, but that doesn't mean it's not Holy Scripture inspired and without error. And therefore we have to do the diligence to try to understand it, right? But but just no, in, in terms of perspicuity, perspicuity, there we go. In terms of perspicuity, it is clear, but only once you learn the grammar. <laughs> so, okay, you ready for me on this one? Uh, we're going to go back a little bit. So verse seven says this, it says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, this is a reference to what was going on before, where he's urging them in the beginning of the chapter to walk in a manner worthy of which they've been called, maintaining the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace, how there is one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, like all this teaching, right? All this glorious, beautiful stuff. All of us have been given this salvation. And then he says, but, so you already have the whole salvation. So when he says, but grace was given, he can't, he's not talking about Jesus on the cross at this moment. He's not talking about forgiveness of sins. He says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And therefore it says, so now this is going to explain what he means by this grace. This is a different thing than salvation. When he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So there's gifts being left behind after Jesus' ascension. That's what he's saying. But then here's your tangent. Okay, so we're going to go off in a corner and then we'll come back to these, these gifts he's talking about. But first, just so you don't get too confused about the ascension, let me confuse you about the descension. <laughs> in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also to descend into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. See? Wait a minute. I think his point is that if you don't get the ascension, then you don't believe that he died and rose. I think that's the point there and that these things are tied together. But now that tangent, hamster, squirrel, right? Being aside, the sentence continues, the paragraph continues without the parentheses. So again, going back to verse seven, grace was given like a gift to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It says he ascended and he gave gifts, verse 11 now, and he gave. So now the giving of gifts prophesied that happened now at the ascension is being said specifically to be the apostles. And this is where, when I talk about this apostolic age and the uniqueness of the apostles and their gifts and their abilities and whatnot, I'm not just making this up. I mean, this is all over the scriptures. They are treated with significant distinction from the rest of us. Even in preachers who also have a distinct office, uh, and in some ways, therefore, are treated with that distinction that they bear the office are significantly 
segregated from the apostolic office in terms of its actual being here on the planet. It died with them. You got this one from Jesus directly, verbatim kind of thing, right? Uh, so that's just the point. He gave the apostles. That's why we read these the book, by the way, the New Testament, these writings, they're from these apostles, guys. He gave them. So to say he gave the apostles is also to say he gave the Holy Scriptures. It's all in the same thing. I'm all waving around like that. Like that's going to make sense. I'm pointing at the word apostles. Right? He gave the apostles, but he didn't only give the apostles. He also gave the prophets. How did he give us the prophets when he ascended? Well, he fulfilled them, did he not? Did he not leave them behind so they've been bound? So now you have the prophets and the apostles, Old and New Testament, all tied together as one. And then now here's the point, right? Now he, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers... So now he's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now here's where we're running into some more difficulty because the office of prophet and the office of apostle are pretty clear by and large so far as the scriptures are concerned. There's some corners, but by and large, they have a definition. Evangelist, we got no definition. And this is, this is where your question is coming right here. Implying evangelism is a specific office for specific people. Well, it sure looks like it, doesn't it? And yet... We have no other explanation of this. But what we do have is that it also talks about the shepherds, which you might translate as pastors, and teachers. And then you have a weird thing going on where you've had, and there's been a lot of ink spilt on this, you have um, a definite article in every word there except for teacher. So it's the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So does that mean there's five offices? Does that mean there's four offices? Is the day school teacher who teaches math in this? And I would say, no, not even what this means by teachers, pastors and teachers. So think of, I would say, think of it this way. Think of evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, all as elements of the same now remaining office so that within what remains of the preacher, the predictomp, you have, you have those who are sent to proclaim and are driven to that. You have those who are sent to shepherd and care, to oversee, to manage. Uh, and, and then you have those who are sent to uh, didache, right? To instruct, and which is a little bit of a different thing than that initial spear, spear point thrust into a culture. So, um, but now, even when I say that, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this word evangelism and I'm reading this totality transfer back into it. I'm taking the present meaning and I'm pushing it back into the verse. And I'm not sure it ever has anything to do with conversion at all in the New Testament. It just isn't defined that clearly. So I don't know. And that is my answer at the end of the day to you. I honestly don't know. I know that Luther and the other um, kind of medieval fathers would have said that evangelists refers to the four gospel writers and nobody else. So you have the apostles, you have the prophets, and you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you have the office of the ministry. I'm just not as convinced textually that that's what evangelist refers to, because I don't have, I've never seen an argument from any text explaining this word as used elsewhere in scripture. And so I'd be curious to see, you know, what, and, and it's been hidden because you get the word gospel translated other places. So it's the, the difficulties, you need to study this in the Greek to be able to figure it out anyway. But I am going to just say, again, I'll lump them all in and say, what you have here is him leaving behind the pastoral office. Now, what is it for? The rest of the chapter, I mean, continues on. It's not like he just gave us because we're just awesome, right? The point is that it is for the equipping of the holy ones, the saints, 
for the work of ministry, it says, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, we're actually going to shift spellbooks here to the Greek um, and, uh, and dig into that verse there, because that verse is not as good as it could be. So, give me one second. Ephesians 4, verse, now which one was that? Sorry, coming back to it. Uh, that'd be verse 12, right? So, see how we do here. Yeah, but but to the, or upon the, or for the katatismon, which there you have again, equipping, uh, equipment, training. So, for the training of the holy ones in the work of service, diakonia, ministry, diakonia, not ministry, service. Love, works of love. For the, for the training of the holy ones in works of love into oikodomain. You can hear economy in that again. It's got the word house in it, oikodomain. Um, I'm, I'm looking at my, this is my reader's Bible, so I can look up uh, that real fast, 24. Uh, Okodome, building, edification, right? So it's like a home, but it's, it's a building or it's strong. So that's that building up into the building of the body of Christ. So I wouldn't even add the up there though, because the word is building. So again, I'm going to read it one more time. Verse 12, chapter four, uh, to the training of the holy ones in works of diakonia into the building of the body of Christ, right? Into the building. So what is the, what is the ministry what is the apostles? What are the gifts of those who speak the word of God? That's what all those, those five things do, one way or the other, they speak the word of God. What does it do? It equips you to love your neighbor by putting you into the body of Jesus Christ so that you're not your own anymore, right? This is what it's always been saying. Um, so does this imply evangelism is a specific office for specific people? No, I don't think it does. Not with the, the contemporary modern meaning of evangelism just shoved on it. It could mean that there is an actual office called evangelist, and I've never seen it biblically defended, ever. Uh, I know that in Africa, there's very common where they cannot do seminary education to train laymen, call them evangelists, and send them off to effectively pastor um, without ordination. And so they, they preach, but they don't do the supper. Um, I think they base that loosely on Philip. Uh, okay. I, just, I don't call it, I, I just don't think that's a real great, clear reality that there's this office, but that's again, something that we would need to study a lot more, but you only got one verse. So when you have an unclear passage and it is definitely unclear on the word evangelist there, uh, when you have an unclear passage, you got to let the clear passages reign. And so in this, what we do see so evidently is that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he left behind the words of the apostles and the prophets to be taught, repeated, shepherded with, used, relied upon, and that this should in fact increase your love uh, and, and keep you tied to the faith of justification in the body of Jesus. And that... Pretty, pretty, pretty straight forward. I got one more back. Actually, we, we got Mrs. Harris earlier, so we'll, we'll scroll forward. And I think I might have had one more of you jump in. Michael says this, uh, M. Wells. What? M. Wells, too. No, I mean, <laughs> you, you mean like Wisconsin? Um, 
It makes me think of the Boove. Have you ever watched the movie Home? I've only seen it once. My kids love it. Uh, they've watched it much. And Boove was a language spoken in our household for a while. And uh, M. Wells sounds Boove to me. Uh, on communion, agree that wine and flatbread are best practices. Thoughts on divine wiggle room in the supper because of imprecise wording. Fruit of the vine versus wine. Bread versus unleavened bread. Um, yeah. Uh, well, divine wiggle. It's all under grace the entire time. The moment the grace becomes your excuse for saying, I don't care about truth or let's not try to find the best practice or, oh, there's no thorns or weeds or thistles that'll grow here ever. Um, you know, that that's not what faith does. So faith says, uh, we know what we can know. Let's practice as best as we can. And honestly, again, I don't think it's so radical. All my position is, is that it needs wheat. It needs wine. It needs the actual words and we should eat it all. I, I, I don't think that's this like really out there expectation, <laughs> you know? Um, uh, and so, and, and that, that position is the historic position of Christianity and the church in the West. And in some ways you can look at the Roman Catholic position and you can see it writ there because justification doesn't quite get into this conversation. And they've, they've, they've done the detailed research of this position. It's, it's just always been there. And, you know, so to hold to that, and, uh, and then not worry about these distracting things. So you want to argue about what it means to be fruit of the vine with Welch. Okay, fine. You know, but like, you're just making stuff up in the 21st century with the rest of the fake news. I'm going to stick with what's been here a long time and promises to be here a long time after. And I don't think, again, that because I'm crazy talk. You know, I think, I think that would be just sort of normal common sense. I mean, you know, but thank you so much for the super chat as always we got a question about specific ministry pastors uh-oh pandora's box is it not uh, i do like the relatively new idea at least to me of specific ministry pastors Mm -mm -mm, or SMP, sometimes called. A church in our LCMS zone recently had their DCE trained online through this program, and now he serves as a pastor specifically for that church. Another way to get small community churches a pastor. Thanks for a deep thinking us and chill. Tracy from Augusta, Georgia. Yeah, well, that was the idea of SMP, is small area, like low population area, cannot afford a full-time clergyman pastor churches, would be able to have their head elder, if he wanted to, or someone like unto him, in two or three years, be ordained and serve this small parish of 10 people until it closes. And that was the idea, right? It's not been used for that much. Some, no doubt. And I'm sure it's a real blessing. But by and large, that's not been its use. Its use has been for large conglomerate congregations of five to seven pastors to train up more of their own without ever having to send them off to be part of the church body. And I can see that from a very different angle. Um, I don't, I, I actually think it's kind of wise, albeit divisive and wrong in the Missouri Synod, but I can see the worldly wisdom in what they're doing. And I'm not opposed to saying, well, maybe two have to fight at that game at some point. Um, because the question of seminary training is increasingly a financial challenge. So, so there is all of that, but just beware this path to, to pastoral formation is, it's the wild card path. It's a wild card future. It already is that now when you call a pastor, do not roll dice on the entire LCMS roster. If you can get it down to two guys roll dice. That's great. On the whole LCMS roster, do not roll dice. <laughs> you, you just don't know. And it is your duty to discern a faithful pastor before he comes, and you're not going to get a lot of help. So be ready for that one. 
Um, there may be. You may have a great circuit counselor, but just be ready. They, they aren't all there for you. Uh, they got other stuff going on. And they may have other agendas as well. So, so just be aware, of, be aware of all of those things. That getting a hold of a good pastor is hard. And then in that, we need to not be afraid of, of using this if that's where you are. And you can become one. And that doesn't just mean out in the middle of nowhere. If you happen to be someone who's working 10 hours a week for your church already, and you're a male, I mean, you're volunteering for that much time? Like, why would you not just go ahead and you know, be ordained? You're already doing it. So, so, so there's stuff like that. And I like that a lot here. And if you're a young man contemplating church, I, honestly, I see, I see nothing wrong with going the SMP route at your congregation. And then if you really want seminary, go get a master's degree at the seminary after you're ordained or something like that. Cause that'll be a real degree. <laughs> the one they give you after the four years of work is less than the two year masters. So, you know, there's, there's ways to be wise. You know, so the SMP, it's a tool. Use it for what it is. Um, do, 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 uh, oh, buttons, buttons everywhere. One of these days I'll get that special keyboard tool fixed. I'll be able to hotkey all this stuff, but that day is not today. So Ryan jumps in and says, just a test run of Super Chef for the future. That's a nice $25 test run. I appreciate it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Ryan, yeah, I hope you guys are all still doing well up there in Wichoffson uh, with your new your new digs. Hey, do you know we're, we're well, we're sinking in roots here in Rockford. I'll say it that way. I'm excited. I'm excited about that. Um, we've been here. We're planning to be here, but different kind of roots. Uh, so I want to see if on the comments on the side, there are some of you who could just chime in without having to pay for it. Uh, Derek and Melanie say to Wolf, what, what is this? He, he will not leave me. <laughs> now, uh, they say to Brian, apparently he's still chatting. Good for you, Brian. Um, equipping being a military term. Oh, cool. I didn't know that one. So that's sweet. That's not in my reader's Greek. I don't use the B-Dag like Brian does. Brian carries his bead egg with him everywhere. That's why his bag's so heavy all the time. Um, Cavisola, who chimed in earlier, says, I have a squirrel moment, but did Pastor Fisk get back to my super chat question? <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so, um, Bingo on the Clear Passage says, Riff Raff. Dollism chimes in, says, when, Riff Fisk, when is Riff Fisk going to lobby a super chat back at Wolfmuller? It never. <laughs> I don't got time for that. I don't got time for that. I don't know where that guy, that guy must sleep like six hours less than me. And I only sleep six or seven. So he's, I don't know how he does it. Equipping's in the military term. Good, 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 good. Um, I want more on that. Where's your B-Dag article on that, Brian? Uh, Artist says, so helpful. If Caleb gives a thumbs up in general. Uh, Yamabe's checking in and says, try even from a, tr uh, try that even from a transcript. And there's a joke in that somewhere that I don't know. So what we're going to do is we're going to shift here. Oh, another super chat. You guys are on the super chats today. Thank you. Um, uh, Michael says, uh, M. Wells. Uh, oh, no, never mind. We did this one. Thank you. Thank you. I'm still learning. What I want to do now. What do we got? 10.04. We got half an hour. Oh, there's so much we can do. What I want to do now. Oh, okay, Ardith. You win. Ardeth dropped one right, right at that moment, right at the right time. And I know it's hard because I'm like 30 seconds ahead of you in reality. And so it's like, it's hard, right? But so Ardeth says this, when in Reformed, aka Sacramentarian land, I heard many argue we should not. It's eating and drinking, like Jesus said. The literal sense seems kind of funny now. Thoughts. Okay, should not what? I missed this question. And Wendy's going to chat with that pain. I appreciate that you're even watching Wendy Kissick with a W. Um, <laughs> uh, I miss you guys. Uh, do, 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 do. 
I am not sure, Ardith, what the reference was that you're you're getting to here. So I heard many argue we should not in tink. Oh, I got you now. Is not eating and drinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you still get that today from Lutherans too. Faithful Lutherans, guys who I am in communion with will say that intinction is wrong. We disagree on this fact. And it has a lot to do with what are the parameters you're using to decide what must be repeated in the Lord's Supper. And the classic Lutheran position is it's got to have wheat bread. It's got to have alcohol wine. It's got to have the words of Jesus. The office of the ministry should be present and it should be eaten and drunk. That, that's it. It's not a hard list, right? Um, so what you start doing then is arguing over what it means to be drunk, consumed, eaten and consumed. Because if you say drinking means it must be more than just liquid, it can't be liquid that is in too small a drop, right? It must be slurped in some way. If you're going to define the Greek word of drink as requiring slurping, now we're again back in the scenario where you've got to replicate a lot of stuff from that night. And I really just don't think you want to go down that crazy train. You just don't. Uh, you're going you're gonna to end up with arbitrary rules that you say others have to do because you do them, but then you're going to have arbitrary ones you don't do because you don't think you have to, because that, that, that no one would think that. And then you're a hypocrite right there at that moment. And so it's better, I think, to just stand on this really simple, but at times frustrating position. We bread, alcohol, wine, the words, the office of the ministry, consume it all. It, it, I mean, it just happens to work, you know, all that too. So yeah, the literalism's a bit much because what they're doing is they're, they won't define the word is very narrowly, but they're real happy to define the word drink narrowly. <laughs> so well, you don't believe in the word is, why am I talking to you? And I'm sorry, sacramentarians. I love you. Some of you are very wise, very clever and very worth talking to, but on this subject, you're not. You deny the meaning, the evident, plain meaning of the most substantial and simple word in all of English and every other language ever, and you want to have a conversation with me. We don't have a foundation in language for the conversation. You believe words do different things than I do, and I believe they do different things than you do, both in both directions. I believe they have more power in some ways, and you believe they have more power in other ways. So, so how are we going to even communicate? Oh, do you see how the word communicate is even kind of connected there. Now it's not, I'm not saying that it's communion, right? But communicate and communion are of the same substantial concept. That there is an interchange that takes place, a real mediation. Now communication, we normally mean communication of ideas. We talked about that in the book too, right? The flying of the airways of electricity and the sound waves and all this kind of stuff, right? Communication of ideas. Uh, but and when, with the supper, we're talking about the communication of Jesus. <laughs> Actually, right? Um, but, but the idea the idea of of communication being something that starts with the word is. And if you can't agree with what this is means about anything and everything, mostly always, then you can't have a conversation. The sky is blue. Well, maybe. Depends on what is means. You know, you're just you're just trapped. You're you're in an existential wasteland of of thoughtlessness. And, and materialism, and you're, again, that's what the rationalist, materialist, secularist, scholastic worldview of the present current age is all about. Kronos rules, nothing but time and aeons, right? You just, you're on that train and I'm, that bandwagon, whatever. I, I don't see the wisdom at all in that path. So 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so what is intinction? Jordan Pitts asking that question. What is intinction? Intinction is when rather than drink from the chalice by slurping from the chalice or sipping, I don't know what you call that, right? Uh, letting it roll from the chalice to your lips. You would take the bread, not having yet consumed it, keeping it cleanly in the finger, and you would dip it into the chalice with the chalice underneath you so a drip would maybe fall back in, and then you would drink, eat at the same time by consuming the bread and the wine all in one bite. Again, the argument being, well, no, you need two. You need a bite and a slurp. All right, okay. Um, I'm just going to work on the bread and wine being the thing that matters most and let all the rest of the pieces that are around it try to be as close as we can to what we know and focus on things that don't divide us. <laughs> like cups that we don't share with each other. Maybe that's where we should start, right? Um, just my thoughts, right? It's literally a divisive practice. By definition, we were more united before individual cups than we are after. By definition, like you can't argue against it. It's a physical reality, right? So I think that's pr more problematic. And yet I don't think it's problematic enough that we should just wade in and change it all. Yeah. Um, and in, in that way, intinction is far less problematic than individual cups. And I will, I will encourage intinction till the cows come home over and against individual cups, because eventually it removes the individual cups, which as I've said already, if you've never been a part of the altar guild, you just don't know how much work those things take. It is ridiculous what we ask people to do with their volunteer time so that we can be afraid of germs that are other places in the building than the chalice. <laughs> Like the pastor's hands. Oh my goodness. If you really want to stay clean at church, don't pass the offering plate and do not shake your pastor's hand. This, I do it every morning. I'm there all morning. I know where it is, right? I know where it is. And, and, and it's, um, I wash my hands before I pick my nose after service. I really do. Uh, so um, the chalice, well, intinction, whatever. Intinction is far less of an evil. But there are guys who disagree with me about this, and I respect them. And I think we should be able to debate that. It's also a local practice, usually. So some places it's there, some places it's not. Um, I've encouraged it throughout this process, and we've had people use the individual cups less leading up to Corona close down. And now we're doing family chalices, so there's no individual cups, but there's only two to four people, and they're all in the same household together. And they've all been like, all right, well, that's what we'll do. And there's a couple of intinctors in there, but like... Compare trying to do right now that distribution with individual cups. Oh my goodness. And the cleanup for that involved. Oh my goodness. So, so anyway, intinction, that's what intinction is. Um, all right. So before we go, we're, we've got 20 minutes here. I want to give you some of this formula PS 33 idea here. So I, I mentioned this earlier in the show. I don't know. So this is my original ever book and I've got several. I talked about this on the, on the bonus cast this week as well. Um, I've got several of these now and I'm using them less for a permanent single, like everything thing and more for a variety of different tasks. You can see how thin this one was, but it, it you know, it was made to be much larger, but what's in it now is my own scribblings of various Bible verses and sections of the Bible that I really want to remember because my goal is to memorize these verses. I kind of like I would kind of like to memorize their location, but I care far more about putting them into conversation. Um, excuse me. Much as I was talking about earlier with that one great comment, I'm gonna have to go write that one down about how you know your enemy shall not prevail against you. You know, the Lord bless you from Zion. Uh, and it's like precious oil on the head, running down over the beard, all that kind of stuff. So, so you know, I'm I'm trying to keep track of. You can see I, I'm I'm categorizing my little hymns I'm pulling out via you know what are they law are they gospel via magic cards and all this. I, again, I talked about this on the bonus cast, but um, so today 
I, I ended up doing some work on Psalm 33 because it really stuck with me. I've been trying to take one Psalm verse a day out of my daily Psalm reading and write one verse that I think is interesting down and then trying to work on how can I like put this in a conversation somewhere. And I haven't gotten very far. I've got a few, you know, be strong and let your heart know courage is out there, but, but not too many others. Um, but I'm working on it. So Psalm 33 just has such good ones here. And I'm going to start with uh, verse, verse 18. Did I, did I get this to work? Hold on. Oh, look at this. It did work. Hold on. Kaboom. There you go. You can actually see my blue paper. Uh, The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver them from death and the famine. Now, there's a lot there that you could kind of dig into. I was really curious about the word famine and whether it has a greater... um, uh, semantic field than just food, a famine not of bread and that kind of thing. Um, but what I really wanted to want to work on memorizing here out of this is the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, but notice how those who fear him is defined by the very Psalm. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It's those who hope in his steadfast loving kindness or his steadfast love or keseth. You maybe have heard me talk about the word keseth before. It's this Hebrew word that we can't even begin to define or use. Loving kindness is the closest that it gets. And whatever the Buddhists translate in their language as loving kindness is probably a closer real word uh, than um, uh, uh, than our steadfast love is. Although steadfast love isn't bad. But so the eye of the Lord is on those who hope in his steadfast love. Now that's a comforting thought. That God, Jesus, risen, is watching, especially those people who have nothing except hope that he is kind and that he loves them. And that's the truth. That's some good stuff right there. That's good juju, right? Mm. And then, I mean, th- this, this, this chapter, verse 33, has got a couple of these good ones here. The king is not saved by his great army, nor a warrior by his great might. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. I seriously want to say this to somebody in the next two weeks when they say good news about how we fixed coronavirus. I want to say the war horse is a false hope. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever get there, but it's a great way. Like if you can have this one as, and this is like a, this is like a, you know, mid-level spell slinging here though. Cause you would have to have somebody saying something that is not just a rejoicing where you're like, it is like oil on the beard, right? You want to rejoice with them. Instead, they're putting their hope falsely in, in the world. And you would say the war horse is a false hope. And just leave it, just leave it. Right. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he spoke and it came to be. That's verse nine of Psalm 33. Uh, it doesn't say Jesus Christ. It just says Yahweh, the Lord. But, you know, that's Jesus. And then uh, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the pleas of the people's uh, plans, plans of the people's. But his counsel stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. I wish I had had that verse in without flesh, to be sure. But just this, the Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. Again, put that in context right now. All the planning, all the shutting down, all the progressive dictatorial overreach that everybody who's in power is using right now, uh, you know, and, and all of the lack of freedoms and, uh, and who knows what's going to come in this world. Here's the reality. The Lord frustrates the council of the nations. Everything, everything that they think they're doing, everything that they believe they're going to achieve is like they're in a trap where 
the counsel of Almighty God is not going to let them see how trapped they are as they destroy themselves. This is the end of paganism. This is the catching of the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He frustrates the counsel of the nations. So beware, my friends, how much you trust the counsel of the nations when it comes and talks to you every day. <laughs> it's not that you don't want to engage. You must engage the city gate. There's no question, but just beware that the Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. And what was it again? The war horse is a false hope, but those oh, who hope in the Lord, uh, the eye of the Lord is on those who hope in his steadfast love. Yeah, there's some real great stuff in there. Um, I think my favorite is the Warhorse one, but he frustrates the counsel of the nations. It's it's like I said this on um on Sunday in the sermon a couple of times, but it's it's a stunning reality. We don't want to believe this. I'm looking at my windows like right here, right? I got green grass sitting right out here. And blue sky kind of is grayish a little bit at the moment. Somebody just drove by, it's sunny. Jesus of Nazareth has no intention of fixing that world out there. Not the one you see as you see it. He has no intention of fixing it. He doesn't care. In fact, worse than letting it all go to hell, he's the one sending it there by letting it take itself there and controlling the whole process without it knowing what's going on. Now, can I say without worry, those are some damn serious concepts to consider? Am, am, I, am, I, am I wrong in saying that? Because I think, I think I'm right in saying that. That's a serious thing to consider. The Lord is out there. Almighty ascended, and he does not care about fixing that. He cares about fixing you. And, and he actually knows that fixing you means not fixing that. Because he fixes that and leaves you in it now. You'll ruin it, and you'll think you fixed it. So he won't do any of those things. So instead, what's going on is he's letting it. I mean, the, the whole thing's falling apart. And every time we see it happening, we should be like, well, that's what the Lord is doing. He's bringing the council of the nations to nothing. Why do we believe the utopian lie about a one world society with everything great? Why? And whether it is a one world society of total hegemony, you know, the machines take over, or whether we return to some sort of weird... Uh, Pomp and circumstance, barbarism, showboating, uh, media, corporate tyranny, whatever, future, Judge Dredd, I don't know, you know, the eye of the Lord is on those who hope in his steadfast loving kindness. The war horse is a false hope. Uh, It's so good, so free. You can wait for the Lord today. Think about it that one too. Wait for the Lord. Wait. We wait for the Lord. What does it mean to wait? The Lord, wasn't he coming back? What if you spent one minute today waiting for the Lord? Like nothing else. You're not allowed to do anything but wait for the Lord Jesus to come back for one minute today. Set a timer. Just, Lord, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to wait for you for a minute. Is it taking it too literally? Probably. But might be good for you, yeah? Maybe uh, pull out your confirmation verse. Say it right before. Set the timer. Say it. Go. Repeat it a couple times. Timer goes off. Did you waste time? Just save time. Redeem time. Make the best use of the time. Look at I brought all my spell books. I brought my personal spell book. I bought my uh, 
Concordia Publishing House authorized spellbook. I brought my original language, old school reader's edition spellbook. I bought, brought my Bardic spellbook. Oh, look at that one. Yeah, that's fun. What happened to it? I don't know. Uh, I brought my Blue Mage spellbook, and uh, I brought another Blue Mage spellbook. Didn't get to any of those. But I, I'm going to read this one to you. Oh, in fact, I can even show you two. Peeper's School of Christian Wizardry. Yes, you know you were dying to see it. You know it's what you've always wanted out of life. Scripture teaches that by the fall of Adam, all men have become sinners, and according to the sentence of divine justice as pronounced in the law, subject to damnation, that, quote, all the world may become guilty before God. That's quite a way to start a book, don't you think? Uh, it's actually volume two of his dogmatics, which makes things a little more interesting and different. We did some volume one work way back in the day on cross defense, if you remember when I was on that show. Um, and uh, so I didn't want to dig into that again. I don't know how much I'll dig into this now, but I was just stunned by this opening sentence and how difficult it is to understand it without certain levels of dogmatism that may or may not be helpful due to jargonistic decay of our language, if I can say it that way. Scripture, that means the Bible, right? Yes, probably. What do you mean by the Bible, right? Which one? Which translation? It's just not that easy, is it? It teaches that by the fall of Adam, which one? The symbolic one? The actual historical one? Six days? I don't know. All men. What about the ladies? Does that count? Oh, no. This is pre-feminism. What's it talking about? All men have become sinners, and then there's that word. What does that word mean? I still, I still don't think it's a good translation. I don't. I don't think we even know what it means. I don't think we can know what it means. I think it is so meaningless now to us, aside from being like, ooh, I don't want to be that, um, and ooh, I'm that, but mm, don't confront me with it. it. It's just, it isn't a helpful word. What does it mean? All men have become sinners. All men have become critically wicked in heart. All men's minds have been twisted with lies so they cannot even logically understand their own madness. That is... This is what it means that all men have become sinners. And according to the sentence of divine justice, that is because God is God, as pronounced in the law, that is, according to our not being part of the design that is any longer good, we are now subject to, we are being placed into, we are now permanently cast as condemned. That's damnation, right? Condemned. And that this is so complete that all the world is guilty before God. That's how bad Adam's fall was. So ladies, you're in the all men and uh, well, the squirrels and the trees too. And I wonder, I'd love to see this debated publicly. You know, the angels, the good angels, they're part of creation. And so the whole creation is going to be held damnable because of Adam. That, well, it would, it would follow. Now I'm using logic here, so it's dangerous. It would follow that the good angels would have been damned too by virtue of their tie to Adam. And so when Christ becomes a new man, no wonder the angels sing, man. Creation saved. Whew. We knew it was coming, but, whew, you know, they long to look into these things for a reason. It's personal. I, I suggest, at least. Like, again, I'd, I'd love to debate that point or have it debated by those who are my betters. Um, all that being said, that the whole world is guilty before God. What a way to start a book. There's a verse for you. All the world is guilty before God. Where can you say that one? All the world is guilty before God. The beautiful thing about these old blue mage spell books, see, what's the spell? Is the spell what 
Peeper said? Well, maybe. What Peeper said is his own personal version of Romans 3, 19. All the world may become guilty before God. That's the spell. And what he did was he tried to speak it in tongues. Not apostolically, just English. Yeah, just English. And so the way he spoke, all the world may become guilty before God, was to say, Scripture teaches that by the fall of Adam, all men have become sinners, and according to the sentence of divine justice, as pronounced in the law, subject to damnation. Hmm. Could you say it faster? I don't know. How's the hymn go? In Adam, we have all been one. Let's see if it's in here. We are just about out of time this morning. It's cool of all of you to be tuning in. We're going to get at least one hymn text out of this thing, I think. Oh, there is a fold in just the wrong place. I don't think it's in here. If, in, 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 nope. Oh, okay. But all mankind fell in Adam's fall should be there. 369. All right. You ready? Oh, starting off the section on faith and justification, all mankind fell in Adam's fall. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry, listeners, I know. Podcast listeners, that's the worst part right there, right? Where, you're at, where I make you have to wait half a second. My religion's necessary. Deal with it. You're going to get all of it. All mankind fell in Adam's fall. One common sin infects us all. From sire to son, the bane descends, and over all the curse impends. Through all man's powers, corruption creeps, and in him dreadful bondage keeps. In guilt he draws his infant breath, and reaps its fruits of woe and death. From hearts depraved to evil prone, flow thoughts and deeds of sin alone. God's image lost, the darkened soul Ah. Hmm. So it's a tough phrase. God's image lost, the darkened soul nor seeks nor finds its heavenly goal. It should be like neither, right? Uh, but Christ, the second Adam, came to bear our sin and woe and shame, to be our life, our light, our way, our only hope, our only stay. As by one man all mankind fell, and born in sin was doomed to hell, so by one man who took our place we all receive the gift of grace. We thank thee, Christ. New life is ours, new light, new hope, new strength, new powers. This grace our every way attend until we reach our journey's end. And as the TLH would often say, ah, amen. Yeah. Know what I do when I find a good spell? I put it in my spell book. Right there. Uh, what is that? All mankind fell in Adam's fall. I think that might be my first black spell. I don't have a card for that in here yet. Oh, that's good. I think that is. I think that's a black spell. So decay, right? Spells of condemnation of the enemy. Black spells. Maybe I'm wrong. Find yourself an old TLH and tear it to shreds. In fact, you know where the cover to this is? It's an Everbook over there that's got all of my constitution and uh, good order documents for my congregation. <laughs> oh, goodness, it worked pretty well. And actually, I should show you this too. This is pretty sweet. Um, the fun of Everbook to me when we were doing it was always how people made their own. So, so this thing here is a leather cover from a journal I bought it at Barnes & Noble. And then I bought two of them. So you have another leather cover here of the same exact one, only it's been cut off 
because at one point I had the three extension, you know how Brian's all have like the fold, right? And I, I realized I really wasn't using that at all, but I'd also then built into it and you can kind of see in the line there in between the leather, you can see this piece, there's another one of this piece. Well, and unfortunately the one that's sitting then inside the leather is the one that would say the Lutheran hymnal right there. You can feel it. Um, uh, so, but it's this really old maroon TLH I found and it was falling apart anyway, but, it, but it, like the, 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 the spine was falling apart, but then the outside was like really good. So I used it to make it into my airbook. I love it still to this day. Um, I don't know if it actually, this might've been a blue one, I think, uh, that's over there, but Good uses for old books. It's uh, it's fun stuff. It is 10.30. We've been hanging out all morning, Saturday morning, chill. Uh, goodness, uh, more for Everbook comments here. Uh, Gary says, thanks for the encouragement. Dollism again says, a few words were changed for LSB. Yeah, there's always that. And I'd actually change it. I, I, I was going to say this. The word sin showed up in that hymn an awful lot. We've got more ways in English to say what it wants to say. And that would be my two cents on that one. Yeah, lots of good comments here on the side. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to go through them this week and pull some of your, your best questions out, and I can look at that stuff next week. In the meantime, if you are interested in hanging out with other mad Christians, there is a group of them uh, doing so more and more. You can ping uh, Frisbee the Hand at frisbeethehand at ribfist.com if you got more questions about that. And remember, Patreon, of course, is the way that all of this goes round. Special Patreon features are now being instituted. They are nothing you need to see. In fact, you maybe don't want to see them. But if you're like, if you're in the fan world, well, then they might be the kind of thing you enjoy. In any case, I do need your help and support with Patreon if you don't mind. A little bit every week helps the world go around in my end of the woods and whatnot. So uh, thanks for all the super chats this morning. Those are obviously very, very helpful. Thank you so much for that. Uh, newsletter comes out Monday. There will be dust in the newsletter. Without Flesh is already out, and you can buy it now if you haven't already. First chapter can be read for free at cph.org um, slash without dash flesh, which is less than easy to type in, if I'm not mistaken in, in that, but that's okay. Meanwhile, I think it's going to be a sunny day here in the Midwest. I hope you get outside, enjoy it, spend some time with your family, and um, oh, there's probably one more I should say, but I think that'll just have to do. Don't wallow in the muck, my friends. It's been a blast. Always is. Thanks for being here. And if I can get over there, rock on. <laughs>